Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in the kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, with God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, and there's so much uh, in your word, and so much to... Uh, uh, taken to our hearts here, Lord. Lord, and as we just scratch the surface of this passage this morning, I pray that uh, we receive it, Lord, humbly, knowing who we are. Thank you for everything that you are doing. Hide us uh, behind your cross, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So some of you have probably heard this story before, but I'm going to start with this. There was an illiterate couple who had just been saved. They met with a group of believers who dressed all alike, and the men in this group, they all wore red shirts when they uh, went to church and they worked on projects. They would all wear the same clothing. So the woman made her husband one. He came home after a meeting one day and he looked really disappointed. And his wife asked him, well, what's wrong? And he's like, well, you know, all the other guys, they had those red shirts and everything, but they had a word. They had words on their shirts. And I just had a plain red shirt. I sort of just felt left out. And so she's like, well, I'll get that taken care of. So that evening she uh, gets her sewing machine out and uh, she had taken some pictures of some words, but she doesn't know how to read. But she took some pictures, and she, as she was sewing the shirt, you know, the next morning she hands it to her husband because they're going to go finish the project. Her husband wears that shirt up to the, the church, and the, the men of the church, they just loved it. They said, this is amazing. This is, this is great. And so he uh, comes back and tells his wife and She's like, oh, well, they loved it. Well, that's great. And she's like, I I'm glad they did. And he's like, well, you don't realize what you put on there. The picture that you took had a, a sign of a, of, of, uh, of a business that said under new management. And that's what she had sewn in his shirt. So as a new believer, he was under new management. And it just fit uh, his surrender to Jesus. And the men... They were just ecstatic about it. And here, as we are reading through Ephesians, the first ten verses here, there are three things 
I would like to point out, and I've titled this, The Hope of Man. And we're going to look at our past hope and our present hope and our future hope that we see in these ten verses. In verse 1, you read, And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past with the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. In verse 1, we see that we are dead. We are separated from God. Our hope, we had no hope apart from Christ. Isaiah 59.2 says this, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. And if you're making notes... Under this, our past hope, lost men live a wretched life. And their life is wretched. Their condition, Ephesians 2.12, says this, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, we've had no hope apart from Christ. So our past hope, before Christ intervened, there was none. We placed our faith, our trust, and all of the things that we valued within ourselves and within society, the world, and the systems there. Lost men live a wretched life, yes, but they also live a wayward life. In verse 2, Reading, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You see, Paul is telling them, you know, we all walked according to the course of this world. There's not one person here sitting that does not have past sin in their life. There's not one person here sitting that probably has present sin that they need to work on in their life. And until the very last day that you and I breathe on earth, there won't be sin that we're completely free of. We will always have to walk circumspectly in this life. When we look in Scripture, when we are to lift up a brother that has fallen in sin, it warns those men that are there to lift up that other brother, saying, you guys need to be careful too. Why is that? Because we live in this body, this fleshly body. And it's good for us to remember, you know, as Christians, we have the new nature, yes, but we still live in this body, our flesh. There is a battle, there is a war. But before Christ, before you became a believer, there was no hope. And your life was wretched, and it was wayward. You lived as you wanted. You lived as you pleased. You lived really in subject of this world. You were not in control. You were slave to sin. So lost men live a wayward life. John chapter 8, verse 44 says this, 
And this is what Jesus said. He said, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is not truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, and he is a liar and the father of it. You know, when Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees and telling them this, before we know, before we were introduced and heard the gospel and repented of our sins and we accepted Christ through faith, we were children of wrath. We were children of disobedience. Isaiah 53, 6, you all have heard this many times, I'm sure. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every one has went their own way. How do we... How are we to take that when we hear that every one has went their own way? That not one of us seek after God. You see, it's by God's grace... And by his love that he has for us, that he reached out to us. You see, we all went astray. We lived a wayward life. And the third point under our past hope, and that means that we did not have hope at this point, but as lost men, they live under, not only they live a wretched life, a wayward life, but they live under the wrath of God. John chapter 3, verse 36 says this, He that believeth, believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Last night, when we were at Brother Tommy's house, he had a great big uh, fire going, burning some brush, and just staring into that fire. You know, we're, we're good, you know, when it was up and roaring and all that stuff, uh, we were a good 15 feet away from that thing, and you could just feel the heat blasting off of that. And, I mean, who doesn't like looking at the fire and being memorized, you know, by the coals and just the look of it, you know, you can just stare into it. But here's the thing. God's wrath, one day, there's a place called hell. And I was sitting there, and while I was looking in there, and I was like, man, that's really getting really hot. In fact, he sat the closest, I think, to the fire that night. And he had a coat on, so I didn't understand. So, but uh, I'm surprised he didn't catch on fire. <laughs> but, uh, you know, looking at that, you know, I, I have an imagination. And I just think of, you know, all the people, perhaps, that I failed to witness to in my work life, my personal life, wherever, and just thinking how uncomfortable it was for me just to stand there in front of that fire too close. But one day, the wrath of God is going to be upon those people that don't know Jesus as their Savior. Is that blood on my hands? Of course, it is. If I didn't witness to them, if I didn't show them who Jesus was. You see, it is a sobering thing. You know, fire is a beautiful thing. In fact, it, it, you know, it purifies. 
But you know what else is a beautiful thing, and you probably don't hear it very often, is that God's wrath is also a beautiful thing. Anything that comes from God is good. His wrath one day will be upon those that reject him. And you say, well, how can that be good? Because he's still just, he's still holy, and there's a price to be paid for sin. And if they don't accept the fact that he gave us his son, who paid that price for our sin, and gave us that way of atonement, then that one day awaits those that do not receive Jesus. I was thinking about that last night when I was looking in that fire. And, and it, what, you know, and I, 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 it's funny I recall that because there's very specific people that came to mind that I know I failed to share. But I also know those that you mourn for and that those that you actually do share the gospel with and how your heart breaks for them because they don't have ears to hear and they're not listening. Our past hope was, uh, was very dire. It was very desperate. Our past hope was one without hope. But, right? It's a good word. And I'm talking about the conjunction. So, verse 4, it says, But God. And many preachers have preached sermons surrounding just those two words and how they implicate uh, their meaning here in Scripture. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. And so we move from a past hopelessness, if you really rather title it that way, to a present hope. This is what's so important about us as Christians, for us as a church, for us to go out and tell people about Jesus. There is a present hope. How can you turn them away from hearing something, this hope that you know yourself that they don't hear, they don't see? Do they not hear? Do they not see this in you? There's a present hope. And in verse 4, I'll read this again. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, he gave us love. And I'm going to have three points here. And the first one is, he gave us love. You see, God loves the sinner with an everlasting, undying, never-ceasing love. Romans 8, 38 and 39, great scripture. Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think about that. What can separate you, what can separate me from the love of God? If you and I have the love of God, what can separate us? Nothing, right? I have to remind myself that constantly because living here on this earth and in this fleshly body, 
if I were God, I would have probably separated myself with humanity by now, okay? Thank goodness I, I'm not. And, and thank goodness that God's love is something that we can't even fathom. You know, one day in eternity, we're going to learn all this. Uh, we're going to see the deepness of God's love. And then, you know, 10,000 years later, we're going to say, oh, we're still finding out new depths of his love for us. It will be unending. Romans 5.8, you guys know this. God loved us, right? He commanded his love towards us while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Here's an illustration. There was a father sitting down in his living room and he heard his son upstairs playing around with his baseball. And the father had told his son many times don't play ball in the house. You're going to break something. Well, as he's sitting there, he hears something break upstairs. And so the father gets up from his chair and he walks upstairs to his son. And there his son is sitting, you know, on his bed looking at a lamp that is broken and all over the floor. And the son already knew what was going to happen. So he, he, he heard the door open. And he got up from the bed, and he bent over, and he is holding his knees. And if you guys have ever had parents that said, you know, hold your knees, you know what that means. You're about to get a belt. So the son is already ready for his punishment. Well, the father was, uh, you know, rather, he was upset, but at the same time, he just didn't understand. Because... You know, between all the Bible studies and prayer times he has with his family, and he's teaching his son, you know, the presidents that he, we find in God's word, what's going on, and the son just wasn't getting it. So the father removes his shirt, and he kneels down on the bed and says, Son, here's my belt, and I want you to give me seven lashes on my back. Well, the son, you know, just 10 years old, you know, starts crying. He's like, No, I'm not going to do that. I, I can't do that. And he says, You have to. And so the father kept insisting until the son finally uh, relented and started giving his father those lashes with his belt on his back. And when the boy finally lashed the belt across the father's back and it was finished, the father said, son, do you know why I had you do this? And the son said, no. And the father said, when Jesus went to the cross for us, he paid for our sins by taking our place in punishment. And so, what an illustration about love. You see, the father, there was a punishment to be had. The boy broke a lamp with the ball, but the father wanted to show him the type of love that God has for us, saying, you know what, I don't want to punish you because I love you, but the punishment still has to take place. I mean, what a reminder, right? And that's what God has done for us. He loved us while we are still yet sinners, that Christ died for us. And I love the fact that Romans 5 says, you know, and I misquoted that. He loved us while we were, he said, no, it says, he commanded his love towards us while we were still yet sinners, right? He commanded. It, it is something that is absolute. It is a sure thing. Not only did he give us his love, but he, he gave us life. 
When we received Jesus, he made us alive to him. We were alive to God, and we were dead to sin. We were dead to this world. We were dead to the enemy of this world. We were no longer pawns or slaves to sin. We were free from it. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, God loves us. And it was not just enough that he took our place, but he transforms us to be like him. We are grafted into Jesus' likeness. When God looks down and he looks at Eric, and Eric's being a bad kid, you know, God's aware of when we stumble and when we fall. But when God says we can go boldly to his throne, how, many, how often do we do that? How often do we shame away saying, I, I don't want to talk to God right now because I know exactly where my mind has been. But here's the thing. We go boldly to the throne because when he sees us, he doesn't judge us by our sins anymore because that payment of that sin has been dealt with on the cross. And he doesn't see all the, the scars and the mars and all of the ugliness of us. He sees Jesus' blood covering us. He sees his son's perfection upon us. When we look at uh, in Galatians, if I can quote from Galatians now. So, <laughs> uh, when we think about the armor of God, no, that's Ephesians. Wow, look at there. Let's see. And I got that on camera. And I, it's a good thing I get to edit this thing, right? So, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, right? Uh, but uh, the armor of God, what is that? You know, let's not get off topic. The armor of God, when you think about, you know, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, this all is the personality of Jesus, Whose righteousness covers us? It is Jesus. Who is truth? Jesus says, you know, he is the word, right? Where does faith come from? The word. What is the sword of the spirit? The word. You see, he's got us covered. But not only that, he has changed us entirely. He has given us life. Not only has he given us his life, and given us life through him, but he's also given us a lift. And I'll be honest, I don't like the title here that much, but the lift, okay, let's, let's look at verse 6 in our passage in Ephesians 2. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, according to this verse, we have been seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. And through the person of the Holy Spirit, Colossians 1.27 says this, To whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We sit with him in the heavenlies. 
How is that possible? I mean, right now, I'm pretty sure I'm standing on a stage that's wooden underneath my feet, right? I mean, I'm going to be literal a little bit. So what does that really mean? Our position is with Christ in heaven. When Scripture says that we are aliens in this world, it literally means we're not part of this world. Our place is in heaven with Christ. Our place is in the heavenlies with him. When it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, do you know that we are heirs to the throne? Now, we'll never take it. No, because Jesus is eternal and we wouldn't want to take it. We get to have a king that is eternally good to us. He has purchased us from our sins. He has changed our very nature. We're no longer going to be in this, this fleshly body serving self. You see, God has created each of us for a purpose, and that's not to serve ourself. Now, it is very easy to serve yourself. It's very easy to want to serve yourself, but how often does that fulfill you? It doesn't. It doesn't fulfill any human being, really. They, they will always be empty. You know why people like to go to places that... Um, of ministry, and, and you know, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to tackle it on, on that point, but people like to do good things for other people. Why? Because it makes them feel good. You, you, I mean, right? That happens. So when we actually think about the things that we do, is it truly selfless or is it for self? There's nothing wrong with feeling good, but... When you start giving, you know, it's better to give than receive. And God's love was fully given to us. You see, there's nothing that you or I or anyone on this world can give to God except our obedience. And that is simply us agreeing with God that we're in complete need of him, in complete surrender of him, and that we are completely and totally under his lordship. So that's the present hope. And this last part, it's the future hope. And then it goes back to the present hope. <laughs> but we're just going to put this all of it under future hope right now. Verse 7, it says this, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. You see, our future hope, it's not, oh, I hope I get, you know, <laughs> I hope I get ice cream for lunch or something. You know, it's not wishful thinking. Our hope is Jesus. It's absolute. It's sure. In our future hope, that we have, we see in this verse, it reminds us that one of these days we're going to be finally home with him. And when we arrive there, we'll have eternity to enjoy, share the blessings and all the greatness that we at least get to read in Scripture and what Scripture describes to us and that heaven is like. You know, we know there's no death, no sorrow, no disease, no separation, no tears. But even beyond the city that is beyond compare, we're there eternally with Jesus. 
and one day we'll be able to look in the face of our Father. I mean, how wonderful is that going to be? I, I, I stand up here and these are just words I can't imagine. But that is our future hope. We have that new destination. And in verse 8 and 9, there's a designation. You see, not everybody goes to heaven. And this actually goes back to that present hope. But in verse 8 and 9, it's very important because we talk about these things that are going to come to the believer one day. But in verse 8 and 9, it goes back and says, For grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's a great reminder. Hey, this still is not about us. It is something that is completely and totally procured and given to us by God. In verse 9 it says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, I would consider myself not a boaster, but man, I would be fooling myself, I think. I may not be uh, louder than some, but there are some things I take pride in, uh, and I probably ought not to. And I'm going to make myself look like a nerd up here, but video gaming, right? There's certain games I'll play, and uh, I don't have to say a word if I beat somebody. But I can feel that swelling up inside of me like, man, you got owned, or if you're a gamer, it's pwned. So, and some of you may get that. Thank you for laughing, Rick. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we can't boast about our salvation, can we? There's nothing about the salvation that Eric Brace has that I can say, oh, that's because of me. You know, as, as men, we're very visual, right? And anytime I preach or anytime I always picture myself, you know, like I know God says, you know, when you get up and preach, this is how you present yourself. This is how you, your, your manner should be. But in my mind, I am just this kid that's holding on to Jesus' feet saying, you have to get me through this. And that's through life. And the moment I let go of that positioning, okay, that's my designation in life, is that I am to expect and that I am to be at that position where I'm lowly before Christ because he's the one that gets us through this life. There's no persecution here right now in this church, right? But when we walk out those doors, perhaps, you know, we're not getting beheaded, but that stuff's going on. What about the, the person that you need to be telling about Jesus? Are you just afraid about what they're going to say or any pushback you may get? Remember that you have to be prostrate before Christ. That's our designation, and it's a great place to be. But in that designation, we have a direction that he gives us. And in verse 10, in our final verse here in Ephesians, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. You see, he gave us a direction. It's ordained that we should walk 
in the Spirit, that we are able to bring about good works. We can't claim those works of ourselves, no, because anything that is good that comes from us, it's simply because we're in obedience and walking in the Spirit. And anything that is produced that is good from us is not from you or I. It is by God. It's by through the Spirit. And anything that we see or get to even witness and experience that is good, we give thanks to God. We are just merely a tool. I mean, if we were to build a boat, if Brother Dana built a boat, and, you know, and he gave it away to somebody, is the person going to say, man, I am so glad, and I'm so thankful for that hammer. Are they going to thank the hammer, or are they going to thank the person that actually built it? You see... You know, I'm not trying to undermine who we are, but we need to know who we are. We are instruments. We are tools for God's use and purpose. The only difference between a hammer and us is that God loves us. He redeemed us. He made us new. James 2:18 says this, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Why is this important when we talk about the direction and the purpose that God gives us as Christians? You see... Every one of us can say, I live by faith. But as a Christian, is that work evident in your life? Do we see the fruit that you ought to be bearing or that you do bear? You see, faith and works go hand in hand. You can't say, I have faith and not have any works. Because if you have faith, then you live by faith. So just in review, there's a lot here just in these 10 verses. But in the past, when I say our past hope, remember before Christ, there was no hope for us. And the present hope that you and I get to, to, to really enjoy even now our salvation, right? Our sanctification, and it's not always joyous, I hate saying that, but it is joyous. Because we can take joy that we know that our flesh is suffering because of the war going inside in us. It's better than actually just giving in to whatever, right? So, but, you know, we have this hope that we need to share. And that we also need to hold on to the day that Christ comes back for us. Because that day is coming. There's no stopping it. There's no running from it. I mean, you definitely can put your head in the sand and not look for it and sort of just become oblivious. But here's the thing, it's going to happen. And the question, you know, as preaching to a, a church, you know, we all say we're believers, and we all know what we ought to do. But I always have to say, you know, if you're here, and if any of this made sense to you at all, and you've never known who Jesus was, 
know that he loves you and he commanded his love towards you, even while you're in sin, that he died for you to take your punishment. And that is something, you know, that is your present hope. It is not one that is wishful thinking. It is one that is for sure. 